John 7, 25 to 52. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirits whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The sermon text is verses 37 to 39. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, when we come to worship the Lord, we are very often, as the psalmist says in Psalm 63, we are thirsty and dry in a wilderness where there is no water, longing for God, longing for his courts. And so the psalmist says in in Psalm 63, he says, so I have sought 
you out, to see your power and your glory in your sanctuary, because your loving kindness is better than life. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And that is how we come to worship as well. Not here as, as a club, you know, not here as, as people who have done all the right things and deserve to be here, but as people who are needy, people who are thirsty, who have spent a week, in many ways, running after the wrong things, trying to find life in where there are only dead ends, nursing our sins rather than killing them. By God's grace, we have known victories, but we're also weary of the failures, weary of the battle. We come here because we know we need the Lord Jesus Christ. At least, may that be true. That we come here because we know we need him, that we are thirsty, that we are in a desert land where there is no water, and he is the one who gives life. He is water. He is the streams in the midst of the desert. And so that will be our, our theme this afternoon, that Christ offers the overflowing spirit to thirsty sinners. We'll see, first of all, his gracious invitation. Secondly, his generous prom promise. And finally, his glorious work. His gracious invitation, right? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Then his generous promise, and then those who do believe in me, out of their hearts will flow, out of his heart will flow streams of, of living water. And then finally, this glorious work. How John says, he was talking about the Spirit. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not glorified. That is, the Spirit's outpouring is connected, closely connected to the exalted Christ, to his finished work, and we'll consider the importance of that for, for our lives. First of all, his gracious invitation. We're in the middle, no, we're not in the middle, we're at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the third, the last and, and final of the great Old Testament feasts. The Old Testament feasts of Passover and Pentecost, or weeks, and Tabernacles followed the farming season, the growing season. And the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated uh, the ingathering of the harvest, of harvest home, and everything had been completed. The barley, the wheat, the grapes, the, the figs, the olives, the wine had been made, and everything was set. All of their hampers were full, all of their barns were overflowing, and they gave thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And part of what they were called to remember is their time of wandering in the wilderness, when in the desert, God provided water from the rock, He provided manna from heaven, how God protected them and preserved them. And so here at the Feast of Tabernacles, a, a ritual had developed, a couple, beginning a couple centuries before Jesus was born. And it's well attested in rabbinic literature that on this great day of the feast, the high priest with the priests accompanying him and, and a crowd of pilgrims would go to the pool of Siloam with a golden vessel. They would fill it with, with water and they would go in procession back to the temple and entering into the gates, the, the, the priests would march around the altar, the bronze altar where all the sacrifices were made. And as they marched around, the, the choir would sing Psalms 113 to Psalm 118. And when they got to Psalm 118, then... The priest, the high priest, would pour out the water onto the ground. 
And it was meant to be this, as one rabbi writes, why is the name of it called the drawing out of water? The answer is because of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, according to what is said, and this is Isaiah 12, verse 3, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. In other words, the Israelites were not only remembering God's provision of water from the rock in the wilderness way back when, but they were looking forward to what the, pro the prophets had said about the great day of blessing, the day of the Lord when the Holy Spirit would come and he would come like rivers in the desert to bring fruitfulness and joy and blessing when Israel would no longer be the scum of the earth but to be high and lifted up and, and to draw all nations to the mountain of the Lord. This is what Israel was longing for and, and waiting for. And now here is the Lord Jesus. He's at the feast. And the majority of the Israelites, while they're celebrating God's provision in the wilderness, water from the rock, which Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 10 was Christ, Christ was already at work in the Old Testament, providing for them. And as they are looking ahead to the great day of the Lord when Messiah will come, here he stands in their midst, and they do not recognize him. Actually, even worse, they reject him. The Jews, the leaders, want to kill him. Many others say, well, he doesn't really fit our expectations. You know, it, we, we've sort of expected uh, somebody like this, but he doesn't meet those. And, and others are, well, that's... You know, it's pretty amazing what he's done, some of these miracles. And then there are a few, a handful, who believe. But in the main, what John said in, 1 John, in, in John 1 verse 10 is true, that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But it's there in the midst of the feast that Jesus stands up. And he says, with all authority and power, he says, this, what you're doing, as you pour out that water, this is all about me. You're longing for the living water. You're longing for those streams in the deserts. You're longing for God to bring his great day of salvation. Well, that has come in me. Come to me. And so he gives this gospel offer freely and openly and fully and unconditionally. That's why I've titled this, this point, The Gracious, His Gracious Invitation. It's gracious, not because it's pretty good, but because it is all of grace. There is no qualification for coming to him. And we might read the text and think, well, hold on a second. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. So that sounds like a condition. You know, what, what does that mean? And, and, and some, you know, we can think of, well, maybe thirst means a conviction of sin. Or maybe thirst means, you know, he's got a certain, somebody has a certain knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, understands theologically his need and so forth and so on. But the fact is, everyone thirsts. Everyone is thirsty for God because God has made us for himself and we will always have this God-shaped vacuum or hole in our hearts unless we find our fullness and our rest in him. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 2. He says, my people, my people have forsaken God who is the fountain of living water. And instead of seeking their satisfaction in him, 
They've tried to find satisfaction in cisterns that can't hold water, broken cisterns that can't hold water. It's like saying they're trying to be filled from buckets of water that have holes in them, that have sprung leaks, and before long, those are dry. This is, this is life for those who seek, who attempt to seek satisfaction everywhere else other than in Christ. And isn't that so often you and I? To try to find life in those dead-end roads. And what does Christ say here? He says, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That is, no qualifications. You don't have to be so high to get on this ride. You don't have to jump through certain hoops. The way of repentance is not a whole bunch of steps before you finally come to Christ. No, the way of repentance is very simply coming to Jesus Christ. This is so often, truly, maybe you hear this and you think, well, yeah, that's elementary, but is it? And it's, isn't it so often true that we think, well, first this and then this, and then finally you can, no, the only warrant for coming to Jesus Christ is not anything I have done, anything that I am, any way that I've prepared. The only warrant for coming to Jesus Christ is that he says, come. Jesus is our salvation. He is our forgiveness. He is our repentance. He is the one who has brought us to God by offering himself on the cross, by living that perfect life. He is our peace. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And, and this gracious invitation is for all. It is truly for everyone offered and he means it. If you're thirsty, and that's all of you, come to me. And the only reason that many won't is because they refuse. And if today we won't come to him, that's on us. If we will leave today from here further away from him, We've come here for all the wrong reasons and we're still gonna go from here and try to find life in all the empty pleasures of this world. Well, that's, as the Proverbs say, that's the way of folly. Here's the way of wisdom. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his beauty saying, look, this is not just a religion. This is not just me trying to rob you of your fun. This, I am the life. Or there's the way to hell. Or there's the way of just a, a mouthful of dust. And then in hell forever where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Come to me. His gracious invitation. And that gracious invitation is followed by this generous promise. Whoever believes in me, so coming to Jesus is synonymous with believing in him. True faith is coming to Jesus. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the promise is when we come to Jesus, out of his heart, that is, out of your heart, out of my heart, will flow rivers of living water. And then in verse 39, John explains to us, Jesus was talking about the Spirit. So how does Jesus give us, how does he, how does he quench our thirst, our soul thirst? How does he satisfy us? 
fully and completely and eternally. It is by the gift of the Spirit, His Spirit. What Christ gives never diminishes, spoils, or fades. That's the idea of out of our heart that is deep within us. This is not something where we, we, we run dry and we keep on having to try to find it uh, wherever we can. No, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts. And he is, and he remains with us forever. He is the one who renews, who equips, so that we don't have to live from an empty place unless we resist him and quench him. No, but when the Spirit lives within us as he does in all those who come to Jesus Christ, he is this ever-abundant and overflowing river of life. So, Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you the spirits who will become in you, dwelling in you, this overflowing stream or river of living water. And it's important to remember for us that the Holy Spirit has always mutually indwelt God the Son from all of eternity, a perfect mutual indwelling. But the Spirit also came upon Jesus Christ at his baptism to indwell him according to his human nature. And what does that mean for us? Well, that means when we come to Christ and in faith we are united to him, it means that everything that belongs to Jesus Christ because he has taken on flesh, because he has tabernacled with us, all that belongs to him according to his human nature now belongs to us. And so if we have Christ, we have the Spirit. And if we long to have the Spirit, we don't search for the Spirit in all kinds of shallow ways. We come to Jesus. He's the one that we need. It must always be the gospel of Christ. Always the word of God. Knowing the Lord Jesus and seeking after him, there is where we receive and are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus says, this is what the scripture has said. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, if you go try to find that in the Old Testament, you will not find that word for word. It's because John is not pointing to a particular passage. He is, I believe, talking about the entirety of the Old Testament. That this is what it was all about. God becoming man and winning this mighty victory over sin and Satan and death and pouring out his Holy Spirit to apply it to you and I. And, and we look at the Old Testament prophets and we hear this. For example, Isaiah 44 verse three. Notice the connection between streams of living water and the promise of the Holy Spirit. I will pour water on him who is thirsty says Isaiah, and floods on the dry grounds, I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And we can look at other ones, Isaiah 58 verse 11 or Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, right? I will sprinkle clean water or pure water on you. But the one I really latched onto this week and I want to latch onto today is Ezekiel 47. 
invite you to turn with me there, or if you could please put that up on the screen. He's Ezekiel 47. And it's one of my, well, it's certainly become one of my favorite passages now, especially meditating on it more this week. Uh, Ezekiel 40 to 48 is God's, God's gift of a vision to Ezekiel for the coming temple. Ezekiel, the prophet, is in Babylon, in exile with, uh, with the Judeans, with the Israelites. And while he's there, God says, look, the glory has departed from the temple. You guys forsook me, and so I left. But I will come back. And the new temple is gonna be way bigger, way more glorious than the one that you knew. So he gives this beautiful vision of the temple. And here in verse 47, this is part of that vision. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hands, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. This is the Dead Sea. And wherever the river river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From En Gedi to Enegliam, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Out from under the temple flows a river, ankle deep, knee-deep, waist-deep, and then a river you can swim in. A river that you can't even touch the bottom. Now Jesus, in John 1, is declared to be the Word made flesh who tabernacled among us. And then in John 2, 19, Jesus says, looking at the temple, he says, destroy this 
temple and I will raise it again in three days. And he was talking about his body. He is the new temple. He is everything that Ezekiel was talking about. And from him flows this river of the Spirit. That when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a river where we can't even touch the bottom. Did the Spirit live and dwell in the Old Testament believers? Sure, he definitely did. But not, and we can't exactly know how, how this all works experientially. But we do know that it is far deeper and wider and greater for the New Testament community of God, for New Covenant Christians. Because what Jesus now, when he left, when he ascended into heaven, he said to his disciples, you're gonna be sad, but you need to know that this is good. I need to go so that the Holy Spirit can come live in you. He says, I will not leave you, I will be with you. Now think of what that means. We maybe right now would like to see with the disciples Jesus walking around. That's a good desire. One day we will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But while in his earthly ministry, if that is how it had stayed, if Jesus had stayed, we would not have had more of Jesus, we would have had less. Because guess what? Now that the Spirit has come, Jesus lives in us. If the Spirit had not come, Jesus would have stayed over here, and I would have stayed over here, and I never would have had life. But now he has come to make his home in me and in this congregation and in each one of you. It's telling you that you are children of God and that you are heirs with Christ. And that's believing in Christ, you are forgiven and renewing you and equipping you to be a witness, bearing fruit in your life, right? Everything that's in Ezekiel 47, the, the, these trees that bear fruit, this river of peace and of comfort and of joy and of spiritual fruit and of, and of life, this is ours. In, and it's a river that flows out of the temple and into the world so that when we go from here, we pray for the Spirit to equip us to be a missionary people, a people who always remember that we are parts of something much greater than just our little lives. And what is that much greater? It is the glorious work of Christ. We'll finish there briefly, but no less importantly. In John 7, in verse 39, after Jesus has said this, now John gives us this ex. Explanatory, explanatory comments. It says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That is, the Spirit had not yet been poured out. What had to happen first? Jesus had to finish his work that he came to do. The reason he took on flesh was so that he could die to forgive our sins, to conquer the grave so that we can have not only the forgiveness of sins at the cross, but new life in the empty tomb. And then to bring that finished work into heaven there to apply it for all time to his people. And more yet, 
to pour out the Holy Spirit so that this can become a reality in our lives and to spread through the world. Jesus said, wait here, disciples, I'm gonna send my spirit. After I've ascended, I'll send the spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's that river of the spirit indwelling us, flowing from us as, as this river of life in us, overflowing, but more than that, the, the river of the Spirit that lives in us. This is, the, this is the river of the Spirit that now indwells the church. And through and, and by, the, by, by the power of that Spirit, the church is bringing the gospel to all nations. This is the glorious work of Christ. Now that he has accomplished all, to say, come. All you who are thirsty, come to me. And the final, the final uh, chapter, the chapter that just begins the rest of eternity in Revelation 22 says this. The Apostle John receives this vision now. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river, and you can hear all of Ezekiel 47 in here, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve them. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And one of the last verses of the Bible is this call. It echoes the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit and the church. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come, right? That's us saying to, to all those around us, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Amen.